0: take your bibles and go to psalm 95 with me we'll get to the rest of the singing service soon you'll understand why we're putting it off and i'm going to give you a poem on credit as we begin in other words this really would fit better next sunday but you remember it when it comes time for you to eat on thursday it says this i ate too much turkey i ate too much corn i ate too much pudding and pie i'm stuffed up with muffins and too much stuffing I think I'm just gonna die I piled up my plate and I ate and I ate but I wish I had known when to stop for I'm so crammed with yams sauces gravies and jams that my buttons are starting to pop I'm full of tomatoes and french fried potatoes my stomach is swollen and sore but there's Still some dessert, so I guess it won't hurt if I eat just a little bit more. (laughs) Amen, indeed. Well, happy Thanksgiving. We find ourselves in the middle of the week before Thanksgiving. I hope that you're planning on having a great Thanksgiving. I want to take you back to the origin of it all. Actually, not necessarily the origin, origin, the Mayflower people, but... uh, Abraham Lincoln, on October the 3rd, 1863, in his proclamation for thanksgiving, says this in a final paragraph. It has seemed to me fit and proper that God should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and those who are sojourning in foreign lands, to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our Beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. Abraham Lincoln, October 3rd, 1863. The origin of our official Thanksgiving holiday. What we miss when we start with that final paragraph of Lincoln's proclamation is all that came before it in that proclamation. And he starts off by talking about how America had been ravaged by civil war. The paragraph immediately preceding that which I just read, he says this, but we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace "...and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us, and we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace." Too proud to pray to the God that made us. Those are harsh words. But if those were true in 1863 for Abraham Lincoln, how much more true would they be for America today? We have forgotten God. By this time next week, we will be well into what I have come to call the hectic season. Now, I know we call it the holiday season, and we like to say seasons, greetings, and all of that kind of stuff, but I prefer to call it the hectic season. It's an amazing thing what we've done to this time of the year, isn't it? Before we can even get to the hectic season, we need to get through Thanksgiving. I was uh, taken with my son's comment. He works for Starbucks, he's going to school, and uh, he, he made this comment uh, at the 1st of November. He said, really? Already Starbucks is playing Christmas music. He said, can't we just get through Thanksgiving before we start with Christmas? I don't remember exactly the first Christmas uh, commercial that I saw on television this year, but I think that it was when I was in Israel even. I don't remember that was in May. It, it's, we, we've already been in the hectic season, at least at some level now for a while. But Thanksgiving historically kind of kicks that off for us. How, how tragic is it that we've come to call, what, what do we call the day after Thanksgiving? Black Friday. Doesn't that fit Thanksgiving so well? As we come to this time of the year, I think that maybe we are on dangerous ground. As we tend to leave behind the theory of Thanksgiving, Lincoln just helped us remember that. But we take on the practical part of Thanksgiving, which for us is anything but a holiday. As a matter of fact, well, I, I've been taken uh, over the last few weeks. Many people on Facebook have taken a day, each day, to give something that they're thankful for. Now, as a rule, I have not been reading those, partially because I knew what I was going to be preaching, and I didn't want anybody to think I was singling them out. Okay? So I don't know what you've written, for the most part, but I, I do want to say this: typically. When it comes to thanksgiving, uh, what we're thankful for tends to be very selfish. If I were to just say, and, and we pulled everybody in here, took every person individually, and said, fill in the blank. At this Thanksgiving season, I am thankful for blank. My suspicion is that the vast majority of us would say something that we're thankful for that is very personally oriented. I benefit from this and so I'm thankful for it. Now, that's not all bad. That's part of the nature of Thanksgiving in the first place. I get that. But what I want to do this morning is do a major shift in the way we think. We're purposely putting the music service off until the end today. Okay? Now, some of you sitting out there going, I'm upset because I didn't get to do my singing. Well, just hang in there, okay? It'll come today. But I want it to be intentional for us. So often, we just slip into what I call it warp speed living. We're so busy. I'll talk more about this before the message is over. But we get so busy in the living of life that we fail to live life. And even beyond that, some of the things that we do, and we may do them very well, but we can slip into a mode even in... Like, for instance, singing in a worship service. And we just go through the motions, and we never really think about what we're singing. So this morning, I wanted to do the hey, heads up before we do the singing so that when we get to the singing, it's like, wow, that's awesome. These people did a great job. Wasn't that choir special great? Oh, that was, it was better than they just said, okay? (laughs) It was really good. Let's be careful this year that we don't use Thanksgiving as a kickoff to the selfish season. The hectic season that finds us rushing and moving and trying to get gifts for people that, well, I won't even go there. We'll just settle in for a little bit. Today what I want to do is try to encourage us all to just kind of slow down. And listen, look at this passage of Scripture with me, Psalm 95. If you really need something to help you worship today, if you need help at Thanksgiving, I think Psalm 95 gives us a great trigger. Notice first, well, I'll just read some, but I want you to notice as I read how the psalmist pulls us in he says in verse 1 psalm 95 oh come let us sing to the lord let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation let us come into his presence with thanksgiving let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise for the lord is a great god and a great king above all gods in his hand are the depths of the earth the heights of the mountains are his also the sea is his for he made it and his hands formed the dry land oh come let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. and i 'm going to stop reading there because I could continue on, and actually it turns, and it becomes god 's response to them. So I just want to stop with that part of it. Notice first the call to worship. Verse one, he says, "Oh come, Verse two, let us come." Verse 6, O come, let us worship. With these, essentially what he's saying to us in the language that he uses for us is, is a pleading kind of thing. Oh, come on. Come on. Let's worship. Do you need somebody to invite you to worship? Now, I'm not talking about inviting you to church. That's a different story. I'm talking about inviting you to Worship. There's a reason that he summons them and us. Latter part of verse 1 let us sing to the Lord. Verse 1 again, he says, let us make a joyful noise. Verse two, first or second part of verse 2, let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Let me see if I can capture what that means, let us make a joyful noise. Actually, if we take that very literally, it is this let us make a joyful noise, it is an unrestrained shout. It's like it just jumps out of you. Maybe the best way, I'm going to tell off on myself here. Uh, My wife would do it sooner or later, so I might as well give you the truth. Um, Not that she wouldn't give you the truth. Are y'all awake this morning out there? Okay. I know that you're expecting to be singing now and you're still going, well, what happened to the song service? Just wait, okay? It's coming. (laughs) An unrestrained shout. My last level of formal education that I finished a couple of years ago found me, see she's already started laughing, found me so intensely engaged in my work for months at a time that I just almost totally lost consciousness. I mean, it was hours, 12-hour days for several months at a time, and that involved putting some research stuff together and then it involved working the research and then it involved pulling in data and then it involved sorting the data and then it involved drawing conclusions and then it involved writing all of that stuff. And when I got it all written up, I started sending it to my professor who, uh, as the meanest man in the world, would take the stuff I had written and send it back to me all marked up saying, no, you've got to fix all of this. Months at a time, hours and hours, so focused in. And uh, so when that wonderful day finally came when i got the email back from him that said this is all in order you're finished i want you to know that was a happy day happy happy joy joy what a great day that was and so i went from our little office in our house there in edinburgh into the living room my wife was in there and this young lady who my son was dating. She probably will end up being our daughter-in-law before it's all said and done if things continue along the path they are. But she had been a part of our family uh, maybe a year, huh? several months, something like that. Not very long at that time. She happened to be sitting in the living room with Teresa. And I got this email from my professor saying it's all done, everything's in order, you're finished. And I walked in there and in a shout of unrestrained joy, I started doing the smarty pants dance how many of you know what the smarty pants dance is? you want me to show you? not on your life (laughs) not a chance I learned the smarty pants dance by accident. It was on some video YouTube or something like that. Some little kid that was kind of doing the shuffle, you know. And, uh, and I was so relieved to be finished with all that work that I walked into the living room and just broke into this smarty pants dance. <laughs> I'm really grateful that Selena, my son's girlfriend, didn't just leave the family at that time. That's a picture of this word. Again, verse 2. It's actually verse 1 and verse 2. Let us make a joyful noise. Verse 2, let us make a joyful noise. It is a shout of unrestrained joy. Let me ask you just honestly. How long has it been since your connection with God was so real and so intense that you just couldn't contain yourself? You see, what happens with us is we take all of our doctrine and we polish it up and we learn these things and they're truth and we need to learn those things we need to be really strong in doctrine but what happens is we take all of that and what we know about God and we set it up on a shelf and we polish it every once in a while and occasionally we'll go to worship and we'll say oh God because all of that stuff is true praise you this psalmist will have none of that he says, come on in. No, actually, he, it's, a, it's a pleading kind of thing. Come on, y'all. Praise God. Now, see, some people get all offended because the preacher's yelling in church about something like that. But we miss the sense of what the psalmist is saying. Come on. Let me, let me get at the other extreme. It's equally forceful for you. The psalmist says, come on. This thing we call worship. It's got to be more than just a service that we do on Sundays. We need to do our worship services well. It's got to be more than this. We're summoned to praise and we're summoned for a reason. Verse 6, verse part, let us worship. And the posture that we assume in doing so, back to verse 2, with thanksgiving. Verse 6, we bow down and we kneel. And so we pull all of this together. And the psalmist implores us, come on, let's worship together. And he says to us, when we come to worship, it's more than just going through the motions. One of the reasons that we talked about switching everything up today is to purposely throw you off base. Because when we come in here and we do 30 minutes of singing first, and we expect the preaching, and then we expect to get done, and all of that stuff. We just go through the motions. And it may not be worship at all. It may just be another appointment that we keep. And the psalmist, in a very real sense of exuberance, says, come on, let's do this. Maybe some of us are sitting there asking that pragmatic question, why? why should we make such a big deal of this? What we do seems to work fine here 's one of the one of those presuppositions in the way I live my life each day now. I think that in American Christianity, we have a real failure we 've traded practical theology for practical atheism Let me explain what i mean by that we take those doctrines that i was talking about those you know truths that we hold from scripture and we set them up on a shelf and we're proud of them and we'll even fight for them and some of us even fight and die for them and we'll set them up on the shelf but we never ever intend to pull them down and put them down where our feet hit the ground And so practically our theology is strong, but practically we're atheists because we live as if God doesn't really exist even, much less have something to say to my life. I think that Thanksgiving and the Thanksgiving season often illustrates that. Have you thought really much about what this word holiday means? Well, let's look at it practically first. We have Black Friday, we've already talked about that. We have this holiday season that we're going to go into. I'm calling it the hectic season, you you know why. But what does the word holiday really mean? It actually came, the etymology of the word came from holy day. It was a day that was set apart, and clearly Thanksgiving Day is one of those days. Christmas Day, one of those days. Easter, one of those Holy days for us where we stop the normal course of living. That's what Lincoln was asking for. Where we stop the normal course of living in God's name to acknowledge what he's done in our lives. Let me ask you, if you pull Thanksgiving meal out of the picture, how much honoring God do you think happens on Thanksgiving week in America? We use it as an opportunity to go see loved ones. I'm all for that. Not a problem. I'm going to do that. I'm going to drive up to Huntsville. I'm not going to tell you what day. Because some of you break into my house. While I'm gone. I know. No. no I know better than that. But we use it for travel. We use it as a chance. To just kind of get out. We use it as a chance. To start our Christmas shopping. We, but how much holy. Goes into the day. Or the week. And yet. From it's very outset. It was a holiday. For God's. Acknowledgement. I think that because we so much want a day off from work, we look to Thanksgiving as an opportunity to get that. I want you to notice back to the psalm why the psalmist invites us into worship. If you need a reason, for Thanksgiving this year. Let's go to the source. okay? Because my whole premise of this message is. That Thanksgiving grows out of true worship. Look at what he says again in verse 1. O come let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise. Now what does he say? To the rock of our salvation. Interesting term. If you want a fresh way to study the book of Psalms. Go through it and identify the different images that are there. In this case, he talks about God as the rock of our salvation. Here's another one, verses 3 through 5. This is just jam-packed with imagery for us that drives us to worship. Verse 3, for the Lord is a great God. None of us would dispute that. Matter of fact, our language might underscore that. And here he says, and he's a great king above all gods. Comparatively speaking, these dead idols... As opposed to God, yeah, he's great. That's pretty good. We like that. Verse 4. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are also his. You know what he says with that? From the lowest of the low points of earth to the heights of the highest points of earth, God holds it. Now what does that say about God? You need a good reason to worship? You need some help with Thanksgiving this year? Look who God is. And then he takes us another step. Verse 5, the sea is his. Let me just stop there and make sure we understand this. The Hebrew mindset uh, captures something with this phrase that we don't usually get. You see, for the Hebrew of the Old Testament especially, the seas represented chaos, a chaotic part of life. It makes sense. There are land-bound people. The sea that they have any dealings with, for the most part, is the Sea of Galilee, which has all kinds of storms that blow in from the highlands over those waters. We see that in the New Testament regularly. But they also can look out to the Mediterranean Sea. And, the, of course, those people along the coast were the Philistines, and they were the sea-going people. And And so Israel is this landlocked people. They look at the sea as the place of chaos. They're out of their element there. It's like there's no stability at all. And so when the psalmist says the sea is his, he is saying a mouthful for those people. Even that part of life that is chaotic and out of control, God holds it in his hand. Let me just stop there for a second and let's bring this home. Make sure that you're really getting a hold of this. Whatever it is in your life today that is chaotic Whether it's health issues or finances that are out of control or relationships that absolutely take you to the end of yourself. God is in control. He is in charge. There is not a single element of this life that is beyond him. You need a reason for Thanksgiving this year? You can jolly well bet that God is the only reason you need. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. He's giving these polar opposites. Everything that you can imagine in life is wrapped up under God's control. And then he says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is... Notice the language here. For he is... Our God. This is no God who sets at a distance from his creation. If we had a God who was a creator, as we see him talking about there, and this powerful God, and if he was at a distance, totally disconnected from reality, watching us, saying, Man, look at this great universe that I made, and those people that I made are messing it up. And if he never chose to get involved, I, we would still have to worship him because he's God. Oh, but he didn't do that. He is the creator, but he's also the sustainer. And he reaches into that universe that he made and into the chaos of our lives. And he says, I am your God and you are my people. What a great truth. So here's the next step, he says, verse 7. And the sheep of his hand that's an image those people would have really gotten a shepherd always looking out for his flock always involved to find them what they need always involved to get them to that pasture where they are most safe and most cared for there's our God but here's our problem with it all I think we can come to these passages even in a message like this and we can get it for what it is and find plenty of reason to worship. Why is it then that worship is such an absent part of our typical daily life? I think it's because of the hectic season. Now the hectic season is not just what we call Christmas. Now it's just the way we live. Warp, speed, living. Living. You have a busy week planned? Did you just come off of a busy week? I have to tell you, I woke up this morning, my first thought at 4.30 this morning when I woke up was, man, I wish this day was over. Now that has nothing to do with you or what I do here. It's just I have stuff scheduled from from then to then. I mean, it's a full day. And all week long, it's been like that one thing after another to the point that when I woke up this morning, my best chance to get with God's people as a group and worship together, my first thought was, man, i am be glad when this day's over. And God smacked me with that. What are you preaching today, son? Oh, yeah. This is a good day. See, I, I think one of the greatest enemies that we have when it comes to worship is our busy schedules. Warp speed living, man. I mean, tell you what, we have computers that are so fast that we can't keep up with them, and yet we're always looking for a faster one. You know why? Because somewhere in the back of our minds, we have this idea that if we get one that's faster, then I can get more done. What happens in our worship, though, is when we do that, we slip into this warp speed living, God becomes that shelf person that I just talked about. And it's not that he removes himself from us, it's that we set him on a shelf and we don't have time for him. Well, maybe in our best thinking we think, well, yeah, so we take God out and we cram him into whatever little section of our schedule we have open. And instead of him being king of our schedule, he becomes an afterthought in our schedule. Listen, churches all across America today, preachers are saying, you need to give the first 10% of your money to God. And in the same breath, that same preacher is giving God whatever's left in his schedule. It does not honor God for us to treat him like he only cares about our money. He cares about you. And he wants us to care about him. And yet we schedule ourselves right out of worship. How long has it been since you had an encounter with God and... It just jumped out of you the excitement that comes with that I've, i learned some things in life when i was running years ago i'd get up early in the morning run 20 miles and then go work I, I learned in those days get up three o'clock in the morning there's nobody out on the highways i like running out in the country uh this was in odessa uh there's nothing to see in the country so it's better to do that at night really and uh But I noticed as I would run down the highways that there were things that I could see on the side of the road that I never saw when I was going 70 miles an hour in a company truck. On the side of the road, there may be a rat's nest or somebody threw out something. As I was running down the road at, you know, really slow, I was one of those plotters, not a runner, and uh, I could see stuff. But when I got in my truck and went down the same road later that day, I never saw any of that stuff because I was just going too fast. God says to us, I think in this holiday season, if you're in the hectic season and you're guilty of warp speed living and the best worship you have is a little bit here and a little bit there and you say a quick prayer to God, I think God says to us, slow down. Slow down and find me. A couple of years ago, I went through a very trying time in my life. I found myself so busy and so hectic that I was losing some of the joy of life. So I started just trying to find God in the midst of all of that. And one of the things the Lord told me was, you need to slow down. The first thing you need to do is slow down. And I learned what I call the lasagna lesson of rest. You know what that is? You like lasagna? You know, I, my sister-in-law used to make lasagna for us when we'd go visit them. And I'm a mean lasagna eater, okay, but not making it. Okay, so I watched her do it, and you, know, you layer stuff. Okay, there's cheese and macaroni, whatever it is, noodles or whatever you call that stuff. You layer it, right? And so I, I learned some lessons on a spiritual front that's kind of like lasagna. When I started to slow down and listen to what God was saying to me, he took me to a point that was very uncomfortable. I didn't see it before because I was so busy working for God and I was so busy doing the church stuff and doing preacher stuff that I didn't really see this on a personal level. He started slowing me down. I started realizing just how selfish I was in my life. And you know what? It'd be bad enough if it was just selfish at that point. He started making me look backwards and see how I had been selfish through every relationship in my life. It was all about me. And it broke my heart. To look backwards and see that you have left a trail of bloody people because of your selfishness is a hard thing to do. See, I didn't ever see that while I was busy. Because I would have to stop and think about it. But here's where the layering stuff came in. As I began to see that, it drove me to this acute awareness of myself. You know what that did for me on a spiritual level? It made me cry out for mercy. I don't want justice on a deal like that. I don't want a just God when I see just how selfish I am. I want a merciful God. And so the second level then, I started asking God for mercy and for grace and forgiveness. And and then I began to experience that forgiveness. And then that took me to the next of those layers. See, when you begin to realize just how wicked you can be and how great God's grace is and how bad it is to live outside of His grace, then you start asking, okay, God, I need strength not to go there again. And so I began to pray that way. And in this time of forced solitude, God began to teach me deeper truths than I had ever really come to think of. An awareness of His presence and an incredible sense of peace that came in spite of the storms around me. An incredible sense of God's presence with me that gave me peace that led me to the next level, which was rest. I don't know if you like me but many many nights I go to bed to rest and my mind is going 10,000 miles an hour with the stuff that I did and have yet to do and I wake up tired rest is an incredible gift from God and you can find it in the bottom of a NyQuil bottle or you can find it in an Advil PM or you can find it in the sense of God's presence that defies the moment. Rest. Slow down. Warp speed living robs us of the things that contribute to worship. One of Satan's master schemes just get them busy. It all begins with slowing down, I think. This hectic season, my prayer for you is that it'll actually be a holiday season. Happy Thanksgiving. Let's pray and then let's worship. What do you say? All right? I want you to think about the songs. I want you to think about the words. I want you to sing in worship today. Father, we thank you so much for the good news that there is rest available Father help us to slow down where we have relegated you to just a religious figure in our lives we've in our own thinking taken you off of the throne of the universe put you on a shelf we admire you from a distance where we've done those things Father please please forgive us May we hear fresh the words of the psalmist, come on, let's worship. Help us to see your face this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.